history. From embalming and epitaphs to mourning and morgues. We are taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. This week, we are talking about human composting. Please be advised that this episode contains discussion and or mention of mass animal death, the plague, putrefaction, decomposition, abuse of human remains, and of course, death. Now let's get on to the show. Hello. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, okay. Do you compost currently? Uh, I don't know if I compost, but we have green waste as part of um, our collection, like alongside garbage and recycling. Okay, so municipal composting, which is municipal a big composting. step. We love to see it. Uh, yeah, so we just throw, we have like a countertop little bucket thing with a lid, and we just throw whatever they accept in there, eggshells, banana peels. There's a bunch of cantaloupe rinds in there right now because I just bought a cantaloupe. And I'm guessing one of the things they don't allow you to compost is meat, correct? Uh, I don't know because I don't really buy meat, so I haven't paid <laughs> attention to the rules. Um, <laughs> just for clarification, I am not a strict vegetarian. I just choose to not buy meat to cook with at home because I think it's icky. <laughs> like, I don't like touching it is my main thing. So That's fair. Yeah. So... Usually the answer is no. Most municipal places will not allow you to compost meat or dairy products. And honestly, I don't think most home composters do either. Especially not in cities. We both live in cities of a fair size. Your city's much larger. But both in urban environments. And composting is not super available when you live in an urban setting, there isn't space, there isn't necessarily enough of a use case to justify going through the work of composting. And honestly, we don't all know how to compost and just end up with like buckets or barrels of slimy putrefaction and maybe some maggots or other bugs that have gotten in there, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if, uh, I think most people just don't, they don't grow their own food or yeah. they don't grow plants, so they don't necessarily see a need for it. Um, not that I agree with that that should be the entire way that civilization moves forward. I mean, food security is so important. So it really even, is. Even if you're just growing little herbs on your windowsill like I am, <laughs> um, give it a shot. Do learn how, though, um, because there are ways to compost meat. Part of the reason it's not recommended at home is that, it, one, it can attract scavengers, in particular, rats, raccoons, mice, uh, scavenger birds. It can also really give rise to a lot of bacteria and pathogens that may be present in um, animal carcasses and putrefy, mm -hmm. producing a lot of very smelly and unpleasant liquids. Other, in other words, it gets pretty gross. So we don't generally compost meat at home because it can be a little bit complicated. However, the agricultural sector has been composting dead stock for ages. Dead stock being livestock that is no longer alive. Uh, it's also called mortality composting 
particularly in the cases of mass animal deaths, such as when an avian flu passes through and kills a whole bunch of chickens. Yeah, so farmers have been composting cows and chickens and pigs for ages. And in a growing number of places, you can have your own human body turned into compost as well. Legally, it's called natural organic reduction, and that is what we are talking about today. So in the past, we've talked a little bit about the kinds of things that donated cadavers can be used for, for uh, the study of medicine, as well as medical research. You know, the, when you hear talk about people having their brains sl like shaved micron by micron and scanned all the way through, that's a donated cadaver. Uh, vehicular safety tests also use cadavers, all sorts of stuff. Um, but bodies can also be donated to a what is called a body farm. Some people will joke that it's actually a skeleton farm because you're not growing bodies, but you are producing skeletons. The end result. So body farms, aside from producing skeletons a lot of the time, are essentially research facilities that are concerned with understanding human decomposition in the outdoors specifically. They do deal with like roadkill and stuff as part of the study of decomposition. And body farms are largely used by like forensic anthropologists, law enforcement that used to train cadaver dogs and all sorts of things. There's lots of scientific knowledge to be gained from body farms. Is that such as let's see how the process of decomposition looks at each stage. So this is, yeah. a, this is a body after X amount of time. This is after Y amount of time, Z amount of time, just like, yeah, train and people in, on identifying. You find a body of someone who's potentially been murdered. You can identify how long it's been there. Yeah, that's exactly how it's being used by a lot of like forensic scientists in law enforcement. Is by better understanding human decomposition out in the wild in different um, like weather conditions and different season stuff gives them a better frame of reference for determining uh, time of death, exposure, all that sort of thing. There are currently only seven body farms in the United States. I didn't look at other countries. There are, I believe, some in several different countries, but we're going to be talking about a specific body farm in the U.S. The first one was opened in 1987 in Knoxville, Tennessee, so this is still a relatively new thing. But we're actually going to zoom in on a body farm that started in 2006. It's in Cullowhee, North Carolina, and it's operated by the Western Carolina University's Forensic Anthropology Department, or WCU. So the facility itself is called the Forensic Osteology Research Center, or FOREST, as the acronym. And this is where Katrina Spade figured out how to compost human beings. So Katrina Spade is kind of the modern inventor slash proprietor of human composting as it is becoming available for commercial body disposition. She originally became concerned with finding environmentally friendly death care options, particularly ones that allowed families to participate in and be closer to the like final preparations of their loved ones during her master's degree in architecture when she wrote a thesis called A Place for the Urban Debt. And the main concern in this thesis was talking about how there aren't really like ways to return the body back to the earth in urban environments. There isn't the kind of land dedication required for burials, whether they're boxed or not. 
And so she was kind of toying around with the idea of human composting when she ran into this concept of dead stock composting or mortality composting. Because part of the problem with the ermid environments is, of course, the land. And human composting could be to cremation what a green burial is to a boxed and vaulted burial. Hmm. Right? Kind of a way to do things in a more modular way that doesn't commit a huge portion of land. Mm, I see what you're saying. I was like, wait, composting is to cremation as green burial is to traditional burial. Yeah. Traditional meaning you <laughs> pumped full in a of casket, fluids. And... In a vault. Yeah. yeah embalmed okay. or not, it's a huge land dedication. But yeah, having that greener option for urban populations, of which there are ever more people moving into urban centers. So looking at human composting in a way that's, you know, controlled and contained, but ultimately is a very natural breakdown that returns you back to the earth, was kind of the natural next step of this thesis project. I mentioned that meat is not an easy thing to compost, but farmers have been doing it for a long time. There's a reason we haven't been composting humans, mostly the ick factor, but also because they're people. So Mary Roach, who is a nonfiction author and a journalist, wrote a book called Stiff, which is about the curious lives of human cadavers. And in it, she does have a section on or, uh, more modern forms of body disposition. And this is what she writes about dead stock composting in particular. The death of a farm animal is death reduced to the physical and the practical, a matter of waste disposal and little more. With no soul to be ushered onward, no mourners to attend to, death's overseers are free to pursue more practical approaches. Is there a more economical way to dispose of a body? A more environmentally friendly way? Could something useful be done with the remains? Which is not a conversation we typically have about human debt. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about mortuary utilitarianism a little bit in a second. But it kind of asks the question, why do we get rid of dead stock this way. It's expensive to do it any other way. Essentially, mm -hmm. to have them cremated is a lot of time and money. Having them aquamated, uh, burying them is a huge land commitment that yeah. can also upset the nature of the soil for chemical reasons that I'll talk about also in a second, in a shorter second than the other one. Um, and it's also expensive to have somebody come and do that work, but also remove the bodies for you. So the most economical way to deal with it is to compost it, which you can usually do with materials that are found on the farm. Animals contain a lot more nitrogen in them than vegetal scraps typically do. And this is important for the kind of microbial and bacterial environment that spawns around a dead body. Typically, you need the right ratios of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and heat. The problem with the high, high nitrogen count, which is five parts carbon to one part nitrogen typically in an animal versus the more ideal 25 parts carbon to one part nitrogen found in vegetable scraps, is that bacteria fucking loves nitrogen. Okay. It becomes, it becomes overactive and tends to suck all of the oxygen out of the space, mm. which kills any other aerobic bacteria, bacteria requiring oxygen, which means that only anaerobic composting can, or anaerobic decomposition can begin. And anaerobic decomposition is putrefaction. So the stuff that smells and looks gross. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that leads to the sliminess and to the fluids and to the really, really offensive smells because anaerobic bacteria tend to produce sulfide compounds, 
where aerobic ones don't. So this is part of why you can't easily compost meat at home, why it leads to putrefaction and these nasty smells, is that maintaining that carbon-nitrogen balance is a lot more difficult. So with dead stock, there is a lot of regulations around how to compost a dead animal. And it's, it's pretty precise. I was looking at some uh, regulations for like Ontario, as well as for BC, which are both provinces in Canada. And they have like strict breakdowns of maintaining your ratios per weight of animal, per like how much land you have to dedicate, what you can do with the remains, what to do if it fucks up, so on and so forth. But essentially when you build a mound around say a cow, you actually build like a huge platform of straw and then you put a cow, which you then pack in with manure uh, for moisture, which bacteria needs to live, and then just pile like a fuck ton more straw on it. Typically the guts of the animal are perforated to allow bacteria out and also to avoid any like uh, the gas buildup and blowout that can happen. Oh dear. Yeah, it can be a little a little gnarly. Um, it can take up to six months to finally come out with compost, which usually composting it correctly will reduce the bones as well to just nutrient dense soil, dirt. Interesting. Okay, now I'm like mentally going back through um, the many bins of compost that have smelled bad. And I'm like, what did I put in there? Yeah, because dairy will also do it, but it's if there isn't enough oxygen and there isn't enough carbon, which is why quite often if you keep a home compost bin, they recommend certain ratios of green to brown material. So things like lawn clippings, wood shavings, straw, very carbon heavy stuff. And it tends to need to outweigh your brown material, which is your vegetable scraps, your eggshells, your coffee. And that's part of why those ratios exist because if they're out of whack, that's how you end up with the putrefied slimy shit full of maggots. <laughs> okay, well, it's not like I'm gonna be just dumping lawn clip, like- Well, this is part of the thing is if you don't have a lawn, mm to get clippings from, where do you get all this green material? Do you go out and buy hay bales to maintain a home compost bin? No. So it's great that there is municipal composting available, but that's also why they typically don't want like meat and cheese in there. It's just too much nitrogen. It's too much nitrogen and the bacteria fucking gorge themselves to death. Okay, I think I'm understanding a little more clearly now. <laughs> It's, I didn't know composting was so complicated, but I did know that I had done it wrong many a times. The maggot story is not coming out of nowhere. That is a real thing that has happened to a compost heap that I was part of maintaining. Gross. We did not do a good job. Uh, <laughs> um, so typically when the animal is finally fully broken down, farms are not allowed to sell that, like that compost based soil for commercial gain of all at all and if they do spread it on any of their fields particularly fields meant for grazing cattle are not allowed to be on that field for five years at least in ontario i believe it's similar in bc from the speed reading i was doing the nature of why that is i'm not totally sure i suspect it has something to do with prion diseases like mad cow disease okay because that's a that's like a they eat themselves and it fucks with their brain is my very pedestrian understanding of that. Yeah, kind of. So prions are a type of 
protein that cause I guess it's it's not a protein. It's a, it's a it's a type of structure that causes the proteins being built in your brain to fold incorrectly. So it becomes uh, neurodegenerative and it is 100% fatality. These motherfuckers are near impossible to kill. So even though um, when you're composting meat, you also need to achieve hot composting. So it needs to reach a certain temperature in order to kill other pathogens and harmful bacteria. Things like E. coli that might be present in the dead animal. It does not kill prions. Time does not kill prions. It Chemicals don't really kill prions. Prions are nigh invincible. And part of what led to the spread of mad cow disease is that the sheep offal that was being used in the meal for cattle, that sheep had had, had a prion disease. And so those prions were passed that way. That's also how kuru works, which is a prion disease suffered by um, particular tribes in Papua New Guinea that engage in endocannibalism or mortuary cannibalism of the brain. So the shit's wild. <laughs> It's, it's wild. I'm like, there's so much science in farming. I knew it, but like being confronted with it is a whole other thing. Yeah, so so they have all these dead stock, I think is the word you've been using. Yeah. Um, they're composting it, they're spreading it on fields, and they're not allowed to use those fields for five years. Yeah, essentially the field has to lay fallow. Okay, uh, what happens? There's so many animals. What do they do with it all? Um, I think if there's too many animals, so from what I've read, poultry can be buried, but things like sheep, pigs, and such cannot. I think if there is too much, they may just have to shoulder the expense of having some of the carcasses uh, processed in a more time-efficient manner, hmm. um, such as having the bodies cremated or that sort of thing, which very expensive, but you can't be selling prion-laced meat. Because part of the reason you can't, you're not supposed to bury cows either for very old school reasons, which is concerns about putrefaction affecting groundwater and having a cow that has died in a way that means you have a whole cow you have to bury. Yeah. Versus, you know, the reason that cows usually die at cattle farms, which is beef and leather and all that fun stuff. There's worries about those pathogens then infecting the, the ground and the groundwater and essentially be kind, becoming kind of the modern equivalent of uh, miasma, which was kind of the old school thought as to what caused disease and part of why cremation became such a big thing is there was a lot of fear around the miasma of gases and stuff being produced by a bunch of bodies and boxes in the ground. I see. Yeah, the, uh, the bad air. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to exactly. talk about bad air next time. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's difficult to break down a whole body. So if we go back to um, talking about forests and talking about Katrina's spade, you can kind of see how she made the connection between human composting and the long tradition of mortality composting or dead stock composting. Through this connection and as a result of her thesis about a place for the urban dead came the nonprofit Urban Death Project which aimed at building an architectural blueprint for human composting facilities. For that, she needed to know how to compost a human being. How and they does were one go about how does one go about doing that kind of research? Exactly. You go to a body farm where they study human decomposition. Like I said, it takes about six months to break down something like a cow, typically. What they were aiming for with human composting is figuring out how to reduce a body completely to soil in four to six weeks. 
which is a much shorter period of time, but a human is a lot less meat than a cow. Um, I was going to say, that sounds like a very aggressive timeline. It is, yeah. So they needed to know things like how much space does it take? What's the right mound composition, right? Because certain things will have different amounts of nitrogen and carbon, and trying to find the right mix to correct to compost a body consistently and completely without running the risk of putrefaction, because that is not something that you as a death care facility want happening is promising compost and getting putrefaction or mummification, <laughs> right? If, if they're paying you for one very specific thing, got to be able to do it consistently and well. That makes sense. Yeah. So the Urban Death Project was kind of the prototype for natural organic reduction as a business model. So with the Urban Death Project, people could choose to donate their bodies the same way that you would to a body farm normally or to um, medicinal research, that sort of thing. And then the idea is that it would be kind of like above ground natural burial in which they would be trying to reduce the body to compost as well as possible. So it took several attempts. You know, sometimes it was there's too much alfalfa and alfalfa has a lot more nitrogen than like wood shavings or too little or there was too much moisture or not enough sort of thing. So it, it took a fair amount of time as well as like a whole bevy of soil specialists and from forensic anthropology students, as well as uh, Dr. Johnston of WCU who was helping out to really kind of get it down. While she was working on it, she was getting emails from people being like, I'm a home composter and my compost works great because I use urine from the hospital where I work. Um, <laughs> which has that, nitrogen, which speeds say, up the process. There's so much nitrogen in urine. There is. Yeah, which does make it go faster. And I guess if you're aerating it a lot, then like, eh. Spade, of course, was like, like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to do that to someone's debt. Because that's part of the thing, too, that makes human composting a little bit more difficult than dead stock is the presumption of dignity in a corpse. Right? You don't want to pack somebody's mother in with manure or with hospital urine or, like, right? Like, it can't be completely utilitarian, despite, you know, what some well-meaning know-it-alls on the internet would think. About. I mean, okay, I definitely yeah. get that. I get that it, it can't be utilitarian, but that is because we have a culture where the body has dignity. Yes. Like, we believe, and it's part of our culture to believe, that the body needs to be treated um, with a level of dignity because it represents the person that's no longer there. But there are some, yeah. I mean, I think we've come across some, that, like, the body is a body. So, yes, yes, it needs to be treated with dignity, but uh, for the listeners out there, it's always about the social context of why is yes. this a thing that we believe. So keep that in mind. And part of it, too, is from a PR perspective, because this is something that she was trying to get sorted out, but also was going to have to fight to make legal. And a lot of legality around this sort of thing is based in what would outrage common senses, right? Which is a lot of what abusive corpse laws are based around is what is offensive to the normal person. And so there's already a little bit of an uphill battle in calling it human composting. Katrina Spade actually tends to use the word recomposition because the molecules in your body, rather than being reduced to basic carbon as in a traditional cremation or in an aquamation, are actively transformed into something else by the composting process. Hmm. Something that I assume, but we haven't gotten here yet, something I assume is 
uh, nutrient-rich. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Humans make good compost if you do it right. Yeah. So they eventually got it figured out, and in 2018, Urban Death Project was replaced by Recompose, which is what Katrina Spade's natural organic production facilities currently go by. And a bill for legalizing natural organic reduction went through the Washington state legislation in 2018. It was approved in 2019 and went into law in May of 2020, which as we know, was very early in the COVID-19 pandemic and a two year long mass death event. Um, Still ongoing. Still ongoing, yes. I hope we're seeing less deaths, which is great, but certainly not low enough to call it over. So Recompose flagship location in Seattle, Washington was set to open it in the spring slash summer of 2020, but due to the pandemic, it was pushed back and they actually only recently opened and only have recently started taking bodies in. So it's probably worth talking about as well. What happens when you submit your body or when your body goes through natural organic reduction or human composting? Essentially, you start with a laying in is what it's called. So there'll be a vessel, typically stainless steel or some other sort of waterproof material because there's moisture involved in composting um, and a bed of wood chips, alfalfa and straw. You would lay the person in, of course, with any like flowers or notes that the family would like to bring to the laying in kind of ceremony if the family chooses to attend and if that is available, because there are a number of natural organic reduction facilities now cropping up in states where it's legal, who have slightly different procedures around how to do things. The body is then sealed inside of the vessel for 30 days and the climate is carefully maintained to be optimal for the bacteria and the microbes in the body to do their work. And of course, making sure that it is also reaching the temperature specified by hot composting to kill pathogens and harmful bacteria that may be present. After the 30 days, the body is totally reduced to soil. There are no longer any bones or any identifiable bits of human. Um, They'll scan the remains for anything that cannot be in compost, like pacemakers, joint replacements. I was just going to ask, what happens if someone has a a hip replacement? Yes. So that's actually removed after the fact, kind of the same way that it would in a cremation. Pacemakers are removed prior to cremation because they explode in a retort. Um, (laughs) Okay, but not in the composting situation. Not in the composting. Teeth with fillings are removed pre for worry about mercury poisoning. So once the remains have been scanned for any non-organic components, the remains are then dried for an additional two to four weeks before the one cubic yard of soil, which is about enough to fill a truck bed, is either returned to the family for their own private use, or it can be donated to conservation efforts in and about the area. So going towards reforestation and like re-enriching public lands, soil, and that sort of thing. There aren't necessarily any rules about what the family can do with the remains when they receive them. I don't think they're allowed to sell them commercially, just as like a blanket thing, don't sell animal remain soil. But I mean, it's a nice way of like, if grandma loved gardening, like maintained just these glorious rose bushes and stuff, for her to be kind of returned to that, so she can kind of keep doing that in the afterlife. You know what would be really cool? And this is based on my my limited understanding. Um, Hmm. I know 
flowers or bushes such as hydrangeas are very responsive to a pH balance. So the color of the flowers is dependent upon the pH of the oh. soil. So could you imagine you uh, put the remains upon to feed the hydrangea bush and it changes color? That would be so cool. That would be so nice. I don't know uh, if uh, different people have different pH balances, I, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the soil composition of each person is slightly different, which I guess it would make sense that it would be because each body is different, and especially at the end of its life, it's very different from other people's at end of life. So that's potentially worth investigation. They do recommend not using it for growing food you're going to eat. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. But flowers, non-edible but, flowers. Yeah, flowers, <laughs> trees, shrubs, that sort of thing. And again, you can have it donated to conservation efforts. You can take part of it and donate the rest, that sort of thing. So that's kind of how natural organic production works from like the outside facing in or even from the inside. And Every facility really emphasizes that it's a very gentle transformation back into Earth, uh, which I think is really nice, but I think is also part of the PR problem of compost being associated with eggshells and old coffee grinds. Yeah, it's um, Uh, a hard sell. It's not going to be for... It's not going to be something that everybody is going to get on board with anytime soon, but there are definitely some people who would be interested in it as presented. Absolutely. And currently, as we're talking about this now, um, it is legal in Washington, Colorado, Oregon, and Vermont. There are efforts to introduce bills in Maine, Delaware, Hawaii, and New York as well. And a bill was pushed into legislation in California, but was then tabled in 2021. There are, unfortunately, a lot of groups and persons that are opposed to the legalization of natural organic production. One of the biggest groups is, surprise, surprise, the Catholic Church. So in an article from a Catholic news site, there is a quote that says that the church teaches that the human body is sacred and the dignity of the human person is the foundation of a moral society. And that's the basis of the opposition, is that it's undignified. There was also some argument that rather than elevating the body to a place of reverence, such as putting it in a mausoleum or in a, you know, hallowed graveyard, that sort of thing, and having that space for reverie, that the transformation into soil further alienates the griever from the deceased. Which I think is more ideological than anything, because I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm not religious, neither of us are particularly religious or gung-ho about having like a highly reverential place to rest as a corpse also is it not problematic for a church to have a say in whether laws get passed or not yeah and also i'm not sure the catholic church which is responsible for the unmarked graves of over ten thousand children's children in canada alone really gets to have a say in what is dignified and undignified about types of burial and body disposition. Yeah. (laughs) I really don't think they have uh, a leg up in this race. No, absolutely Uh, not. So there are some other faith-based oppositions, largely from individual people. There are some rabbis that are of the position that it is directly contrary to uh, Jewish traditions about 
the body disposition, but there are also other rabbis who are actively fighting to make it an option. So real mixed on that front. I think what probably gets most people is the ick factor mm -hmm. of compost. Because I think most people have probably failed at composting before, as I, I have. Yeah. And also that we are probably the most alienated from our dead species on the face of the planet. But also the species that thinks the most of itself, perceives itself as the most exceptional of all species on the face of the planet. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I'm still thinking like the different religious groups objections. I'm like, cool, object to that for your congregation or whatever the, the yeah. various words for the groups of, of uh, people in a particular religion are. But uh, that doesn't mean that you can just outlaw it for everyone because <laughs> not everybody's religious. Yeah, exactly. And that's... Yeah, part of my beef with the Catholic Church taking such a stance is it's not about them and the idea that they're, that the Catholic Church's definition of the foundation of a moral society is true, is a universal truth. I mean... Whether it is or not is irrelevant. Isn't that the basis of a lot of philosophy is what is morality? Uh, yeah. We don't seem as a species to be able to come to a conclusion because I don't think there is one answer, so... Yeah. Morals is something that we have as a society in order to function in a society, not something inherent because goodness has inherent value. Goodness does not guarantee survival, and survival is every species' main objective. So, I mean, I might be talking out of my ass, but ethics is ethics for a reason. Yeah. So, and despite how alienated we are from our dead and from the process of death, we are also absolutely obsessed with it. We capitalize on it, we gamify it, we turn it into fashion and camp and excuses and comedy and jokes, and it's everywhere all the time, except for in reality right in front of us. I was just waiting for you to add and podcasts in that list. And podcasts! <laughs> um, yeah, which... Again, we don't run advertising because it advertising, but also we're trying not to like capitalize on it and just break even. Um, if you want to join our Patreon, join the Skeleton Army, two bucks a month, you get fun yes. extra tidbits. Oh just yeah, plug any plug plug. We'll mention outright that um, there's sometimes the episodes are they run it a little too long, and when we edit the audio, we have to cut out some fun stuff um, that's not entirely relevant. So when there's something good, um, I've started adding them to the patreon as post-mortem tidbits so there's a couple on there right now um hopefully we can continue doing that type of thing because we tend to have really great conversations but they don't always stay entirely on topic so that's something that's going on on the patreon yeah so check it out speaking of capitalizing on death <laughs> but we culturally as north americans in particular i think this is very much a like canada u.s like ex-british empire sort of stance uh, we don't like that it can be messy and smelly and that your body is no longer a sanctified thing that is you, but home to the many single-celled organisms that you carry your whole life that are just waiting for a feast when you die. That's really what they're doing, isn't it? It is. We do have a bunch of hangers-on that are like, I'm in here for the long haul, baby. Dinner's gonna be good. <laughs> We're uh, just uh, taking care of them along the way for the, the final feast at the end. 
Yeah, exactly. It's we don't like we're so obsessed with human exceptionalism that we often forget that we are an ecosystem and that we are part of an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem that sustains it and that in turn we should also sustain, which bodies and boxes and cremation don't really do. That of course is my stance. As I said, there is no universal ethics that we are aware of, but giveth, taketh equal measures where possible. But yeah, we don't we don't like looking at death. We don't like looking at the nasty, smelly parts of it. This is why embalming is so popular and why the purifying fire of cremation was once so enticing. And there's, you know, the fear of illness caused by miasma, bad air, by putrefaction doesn't seem to have actually gone anywhere, right? There's a lot of questions about, you know, oh, is a body safe? after it died. It was something that we talked about in the AIDS episode that some funeral homes wouldn't take the bodies of those who died of HIV or AIDS, right? There was, you know, a lot of concern for mortuary workers about whether bodies that came from COVID-19 victims were safe to handle. There's not a lot of viruses that can live without a host. Hmm. I think that seems to stem from, and I get to talk more about this as a part of my next episode, But um, a part of that stems from we're just afraid of death. Bottom line, period. Most humans are afraid of death. Most living things are afraid in some capacity. That's the thing that you're trying. That's your entire purpose is to not have that happen to you. To survive, you want to uh, die. What's the the biological need to die after you've passed on your genetics? Uh, Something like that. Um, Yeah. So, like, humans are afraid of death and that translates into a fear of corpses and bodies absolutely i'm not above this i still feel that way if, if yeah. i just came across a corpse i'd be like holy fuck what is that yeah which i do think is natural right because survival is the ultimate goal of all species but we've also removed ourselves so much from the care of of the dead and really relegate it to like very few specialized people who then also kind of get shunned who investigate why someone is dead, right? Like we've talked about how like crows, when they discover a part of their brood has died, make a bunch of noise and do some investigation to try and figure out what killed their brood member in order to further their own uh, survival chances. So there's some element of that, but also the, the complete alienation from our dead is very much a modern trend for humans, which we have talked about in the past as well. There is also the worry about extreme mortuary utilitarianism. So this is kind of over-applied slippery slope thinking. So these are not necessarily real applications of the slippery slope fallacy because good luck getting any of these things through any sort of legislative body. But there, once upon a time, when talking about slightly more utilitarian ways of disposing of bodies, that kind of did away with the pomp and the fakeness of certain um, Christian traditions, especially for non-Christian persons, right? The very fancy caskets and the lavish headstones and, like, all the shit you get charged out the ass for by modern corporate funeral homes, a lot of people were afraid of things that some people actually suggested but never was done, such as stripping bodies of their skin before they were processed in order to make leather, or using or rendering the fat out of a cadaver to burn in streetlights as oil, as well as, relatedly, using humans as fertilizer. Not reduced to compost, no. Literally just like ground up human beings, raw, squishy, kind of gross, 
that you just add into your dirt. That's a thing people do. That that was something that was proposed back when uh, utilitarianism and mortuary practices was kind of picking up. And these things mm. were suggested by single individuals, right? These weren't like crushing movements to be like, I want to be a handbag. Like, <laughs> right? There are a couple of companies in the world that do do human leather, um, which are under lots of ethical fire for it. They claim that things are ethically sourced, but as we said before, don't buy human remains. Yeah, just don't. It doesn't matter if it's donated. You sh People shouldn't be profiting off of the donation of other people's corpses. But that being said, there are services for, say, preserving someone's tattoos after they've died. Ooh. Right? So there's there's elements of those arguments that are more appropriate mourning and like grieving things rather than strictly kind of capitalist utilitarianism that strips away the fact that it is a member of our own species. Mm -hmm. So there is some of that fear, but you're never going to get that sort of bill through legislation. And that's, and part of what put human composting in the space to be legalized and to gain popularity is the pandemic that we have been living in since early 2020. The, um, the sheer number of dead, I assume. Yeah, part of it, it was that it was a mass death event that there was no guarantee you could escape anywhere, coupled with the heightened kind of awareness of the crisis with climate, the climate crisis, right? There was a lot of talk about how when everything went shut down, all of a sudden our daily emissions dropped. And then shortly afterwards, every funeral like business in any urban area was just overrun with bodies. They couldn't bury them fast enough. They couldn't put them in retort. Like they couldn't cremate them fast enough. There were too many bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a confluence between people en masse being confronted with their mortality in this way as like an inescapable plague that you cannot, there's no financial way out, there's no, like there, it's everywhere and there's no real protection other than complete isolation, which also kills a person because we're social animals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and looking at the climate crisis, which was actively also compounding the kind of disasters and the death events during the pandemic. And I think a lot of people were looking at these things, the death and the climate crisis and going, I, there has to be something better that I can do. There has to be more options. And I think with people being confronted with actual death among their families in the news sort of thing and learning more about how much fossil fuel is required for cremation how much land is used for vaulted burials and how embalming fluids if not properly contained contaminate the ground sort of thing that people really started to combine their climate concerns with their confrontation with mortality and the fear of dying and the reality that that might be a lot closer than they have previously been comfortable with it being. And also young people. More and more young people are coming into ages where they need to make legal decisions about their future and have voting power, right? We talked about in the AIDS epidemic that when large demographics suddenly have voting power, that that tends to make big swings happen. Hmm. So all I'm of those also, things... Also considering the... Um 
the demographic shift that came along with the COVID-19 pandemic, where yes. a lot of the most vulnerable people were older people. Yeah, yeah, that really went after seniors and minorities and people with disabilities um, and those working in healthcare sectors and as essential workers. Yeah, so big population shifts that way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there, you know, there's all these things that are on a lot of people's minds during this pandemic and as you know bills and legislation are going through and an increased interest in green burial as well and that not being available for urban populations and a lot of areas right there aren't that many green burial sites in canada nor in the states they're not where everybody can get to them mm -hmm. it's like uh if it's accessible to you then maybe it's an option but um, yeah not widely and if it's available. not then human composting might be the better alternative right so there's been a, a a real growing surge of people who want these more return to earth uh, low fossil fuel cost means of body disposition and i know that for me human composting is something that i would like post mortem <laughs> pay back all the plants that i've eaten as a vegetarian um, <laughs> and to have that kind of continuity of being like all right off I go into being part of the ecosystem again. How many people in our generation do you feel were influenced by Mufasa's explanation to Simba about the circle of life? <laughs> uh, that's a good question because I think it, yeah, I think that consciously or not, that sort of straightforward contextualization of the circle of life probably had a big impact in how we think about these things. Like, for for us, I, I'm, correct me if this is not the same for you, but for our generation, like, The Lion King is our movie like Frozen is to many kids nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that kind of golden age of Disney. I mean, I was I was a big Little Mermaids fan, but yeah, that was, that was a huge part of it, right? And uh, Disney's obsessed with death. There's a trilogy of videos on the Ask a Mortician YouTube channel that talks specifically about death and Disney. If y'all want to go check it out, it's very good. But yeah, that sort of circle of life idea, I think for most of us did come through in The Lion King. They like, wrote an entire amazing song about it. <laughs> now I want to go listen to it. That's kind of what I have about the nature of natural organic reduction. It is not yet legal in Canada where we live, but there is a human composting facility in Auburn, Washington, which we recently went to a concert at. Oh, um, it was recorded that close? That, that is. that close to us. Oh so it's a God. facility called Return Home, and they actually call it Terramation, TM, trademarked. Okay. Rather than recomposition or natural organic reduction. But they take Canadian citizens for natural organic reduction. So it's not legal to have done in Canada, but you can have your body composted in Auburn, Washington through Return Home. And then is it legal to bring it back to Canada? Should be. Okay. It's just dirt at that point. No one is any the wiser. No one is any the wiser. Just be like, yeah, I got a soil dealer. <laughs> this this American <laughs> soil, great. This definitely does not contain uh, my grandpa. Not at all. <laughs> Turned into dirt. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully eventually it will become legal in Canada. It is rapidly spreading across the United States as well. So if you are in the States, check out whether or not there is a bill up 
uh, for passing in your state legislation and see if there's a way that you can voice your support and make it known that that is an option you would like to have available, even if you don't think it is necessarily for you. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice cross point between facing reality and also trying to do something about it re-climate crisis. As the conditions of our world change, which they have been doing throughout human history, I mean, things yeah. change and that's why we have so many different ways of dealing with dead bodies is things are different in Tibet than they are in uh, the United Kingdom or in Canada or in China or wherever, right? Yeah. So. As things continue to change and we're dealing with uh, climate change, we need to adapt to those things. So this is this is one way that uh, humans have, through science, science um, adapted. So yeah, that's that's what I've got on natural organic reduction, uh, i.e. human composting, i.e. recomposition or terramation. Terramation is an interesting way of putting it because uh, the aquamation is like turn to water. That's what yeah. it kind of says to me. So turn to earth. Yeah, terramation. Yeah. My favorite is that when you look on their website, it's like terramation, TM, like when you're talking about like a cereal brand. Yeah. And you have to note that it's a trademark everywhere. <laughs> Lucky Charms, TM. So there are facilities, yeah, that are opening. I know Colorado is about to open their first Recompose site. If you want more information about the actual Recompose sites, again, the Ask a Mortician channel, which is your premier location on the internet to find information about Green Death. Um, there is a video with Katrina Spade uh, walking through the facility and talking about the delays and such that were caused by the pandemic and how things are going uh, at the time that that video was recorded. So definitely worth checking out and looking into further and uh, keeping your mind open as to what your body disposition options will be at the time that you may need them. Because it seems like an ever-growing list of options to better align with your values and the world in which you live. Yeah, so give it some thought. Maybe this one's for you. Maybe it's not. Yeah. That's okay. But uh, like Mariah said, if you believe that it sounds like a good idea and someone out there should have the option, Maybe look into seeing what the legalization status is. Like, uh, it's not for me, but uh, it's for my friend. Yeah. So maybe I should advocate for that. We like choices. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, mortals, uh, stay well, still stay whole. Don't put meat in your compost. And we will see you next time. Mortals Podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast, and on our website, mortalspodcast.com. Show your support, access bonus content, and help us keep ads out of your ears by joining our community at patreon.com slash mortals podcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. Humans are meat. <laughs>